0: Africa toll Africa amika na unai
1: It's 8.07 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to southern Africa and on 15255 kHz. On the 19 meter band to West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet, channel 802. Now, it's exactly, it is December the 12th, it's a Tuesday, it's a 346th day of the year 2017, with 19 days left in the year and exactly four days left until the African National Congress elective conference. The ANC is one of the oldest surviving liberation movements on the continent. And, uh, I'd like to know what's your take on what's likely to happen at, uh, the ANC elective conference, which is the 54th elective conference taking place in Johannesburg at Nazarek in the South of, um, Johannesburg from the Saturday, the 16th of December, send us your views and your thoughts on what's likely to happen and, uh, your wishes with regards to the outcome, um, tweet us at rise shine africa or at channel africa one you can email us at info at channelafrica.co.za or whatsapp on 277-6300-3327 or send an sms on 277-969-57930 what's your take with regards to the end result or the final results uh, which will be taking place from the ANC 54th elective conference. And I'm sure we'll have the results on the 20th of December, which is next week, Wednesday. Now, to continue with our programming, it is 8.09 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, has announced that the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, will host peace talks on South Sudan this coming Sunday. Channel Africa's James Shimanyula has more.
0: The holding of peace talks on South Sudan this coming Sunday, the 17th of December, will be preceded by two days of advanced meeting that will prepare an agenda for the talks. The talks have been organized by Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, with the express purpose of reviving the peace agreement that was signed in 2015 by South Sudan President Kiir and his principal political opponent Riek Machar now believed to be in South Africa. The Addis Ababa talks are expected to involve all sides in the South Sudan conflict, the very conflict that has been going on for more than three years since the 2015 peace agreement collapsed. Signatories to the agreement are President Salva Kiir and the now rebel leader Riek Machar. Ismail Weiss, eager special envoy to South Sudan, briefly tells us about the coming South Sudan peace talks.
2: There will be now a, a council's meeting on 15th and 16th of this month here in Ababa, And immediately after the council's meeting, the high-level revitalization forum will follow. That means uh, starting on the 17th of uh, this month. We are now on the process of sending the invitation. So far, n- n- no, no one has received an invitation letter. IGAD um, has uh, been involved in the South Sudan issue uh, ever since the uh, 1980s, and it continued. When this uh, conflict erupted, it was IGAD that was on the table before any other institution, uh, the African Union, United Nations, name it. It was
0: Igor on the table. In Special Envoy to South Sudan, Ismail Weiss says, East African regional leaders are strongly united to the extent that there is an urgent need for talks to take place to end the fragile situation that has resulted in the death of thousands of people in Africa's newest nation, that is South Sudan.
2: This region is currently united on one issue that is restoring peace to South Sudan. I do have the agreement in my hand and the agreement is a document of course it's not bad. It only depends on the implementation of of the agreement. Since then that this agreement is not implemented and that is also the reason why IGAD have now decided to revitalize. What we are doing now different? Not much honestly. We are building on that same peace agreement, as you know, we say very clearly it's not a renegotiation. We're not working on a new
0: agreement. We are just revitalising that same agreement. That was eager. The special envoy to South Sudan, Ismail Ways. As the countdown to the day of the meeting continues, one of Riek Machar's spokesman, Brigadier General Nyagual Ajak, speaking to me on a poor telephone line, said. The rebels are prepared to attend the Addis Ababa talks, but he was not in a position to say whether or not rebel leader Riek Machar will attend the talks. There are, however, still conflicting reports about Machar's attendance. Reports say Machar is under house arrest in South Africa. Perhaps it may be important to hear what South Sudan Information Minister Michael McQuay says about Machar
2: to me is not an issue here. It's is not the inclusivity. We are improving on it, we are strengthening it so that some of the provisions which are unimplementable can
0: become implementable. What South Sudan Information Minister Michael McQuey means by implementable is that the agreement which collapsed in 2015 stands a better chance of being implemented after the Addis Ababa talks. But Michael McQuay emphasizes that the implementation of the agreement must be preceded by a ceasefire.
2: To have the ceasefire, the cessation of hostilities, negotiate all the outstanding issues, then find a the permanent ceasefire.
0: That was South Sudan Information Minister Michael McQuay reporting for Channel Africa. This is James Shimanyula.
1: Let's go back in time to today in the year 2013. The sign language interpreter at Nelson Mandela's memorial says he suffers from schizophrenia and hallucinated while gesturing incoherently just one meter away from U.S. President Barack Obama and other world leaders outraging deaf people worldwide who said his signs amounted to gibberish. That's today in history in the year 2013. Channel Africa.
3: Africa rise and shine. I am Hilda Keke in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noël
4: Bamwesi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa.
3: From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzaka. In Informing the world about Africa. And I am
5: Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa.
1: It's 8.15 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The UN Joint Office for Human Rights says a high number of human rights violations continue in the DRC as the World Celebrated Human Rights Day on Sunday. Director of the UN office in the country says the situation is worsening, although the Democratic Republic of Congo has become a member of the UN Human Rights Council. Jean-Noel Bamweze reports from Kinshasa
4: the human rights situation remains of big concern here in the democratic republic of congo since cases of human rights violation are still reported in different areas of this country that's indeed what the u.n joint office for human rights told the here in kinshasa the office statement has come as the world celebrated the human rights day on sunday the office country director mentioned some progress of fighting impunity, but again, he said the office continues to report the same pattern of violence, meaning the situation has remained the same the whole year and has even worsened. Abdul Aziz.
6: If not uh, worsening, the situation remain the same. We have seen the same pattern of violence and we continue to report high number of human rights violations and uh, human rights abuses from the um, security and defence forces but also from armed groups and militias. Just to say that the situation is worrisome, we have uh, serious concern, still serious concern, regarding the human rights situation in the DRC. Some progress has been made on fight against impunity because we have seen an increase of number of prosecution and mobile court organized, of course, with our support by the military justice. Efforts need to be really done in order to curb the trends of violence. Indeed, the number of victims, uh, the number of women that are really victims of uh, human rights violations, in particular sexual violence, right to physical
4: integrity and right to life. All these rights need to be respected indeed, but the key for all this remains the respect of the country's constitution that leads to respect of human rights and the country's law. That's what this analyst from the Study Centre for Justice Reform believes. Charles Mushizi told Channel Africa there is a lot to improve here as far as human rights are concerned.
6: I think the first uh, thing to do is to respect the provision of the constitution. Since the constitution is violated, then all the other laws are
7: not respected because the constitution is the mother of the laws. Freedom for expression should be improved for now. No one can criticize, even objectively the government. No one can come up with uh, questions regarding democracy, equality, and DOC and criticize it even proposing the ways to improve. We need to improve freedom of expression we need to improve the press freedom, we need to improve the right to justice, there are a few ways on what we should work enough to improve not only the quality of democracy in DOC, but also the respect for human rights.
4: The Democratic Republic of Congo was elected this year as a member of the UN Human Rights Council, although most of human rights organizations, both local and international, opposed the vote, questioning the respect of human rights here. Jean-Noël Bamouze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa.
1: The recognition of the inherent dignity and equal rights of human beings is still far from universal. That was the message from the United Nations Secretary General at an event to mark the 70th anniversary since the adoption of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Antonio Guterres called it one of the most profound and far-reaching international agreements that proclaimed the inalienable rights of every human being, regardless of race, colour, religion, language or other status. Show in Brass Peace reports.
8: We stand
9: today at the threshold of a great event, both in the life of the United Nations and in the life of mankind.
10: This was part of the submission to the General Assembly by the former First Lady of the United States, Eleanor Roosevelt, who played a pivotal role in the Declaration's adoption. Seventy years later, much has been achieved, but its universality remains in question, at least according to the UN chief, Antonio Guterres.
11: In practice, recognition of the inherent dignity and equal rights of human beings is still far from universal. Millions of people continue to suffer human rights violations and abuses around the world. And human rights defenders still face persecution, reprisals, and rising and the space for civil society and rising are rising and the space for civil society action is shrinking in very many nations. But the founders of the United Nations were right. Lasting peace and security can never be achieved in any country without respect for human rights.
10: While the declaration has had a direct impact on people in many parts of the world, be that in terms of greater freedoms and equality, there are concerns that human rights are being eroded elsewhere, General Assembly President Miroslav Lajczek.
11: Our celebrations
0: must be short-lived because there are still people in the dark who have not yet
11: felt any of these benefits. And that's why I welcome the initiative of the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights to launch a year-long campaign
0: which rallies us all to stand up for human rights. If we follow the news, if we talk to people from different backgrounds and countries, if we attend events in this building then we know that a campaign like this is needed now more than ever.
10: Former High Commissioner for Human Rights South Africa's Navi Pillay warned that rights were even being undermined in some of the oldest and most powerful democracies in the world.
8: Since retiring I've addressed many many universities particularly in the South and it's a matter of great concern that these young people said to me, don't come and talk to us about human rights. Go and speak about human rights in the United States. So there is a great deal of disappointment, fear and anxiety about anti-human rights statements coming from very powerful leaders, including in this country. So leaders must be very careful on on what they say.
10: As part of a year-long programme, several events are planned globally, to reflect on the continued importance of the declaration. I'm Shervin Bryce-Pease in New York.
1: It's twenty-two Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Let's go back in time to today in 1963. Kenya gained its independence from Britain with Jomo Kenyatta as the country's first prime minister. That's today in history in the in the year 1963. South Africa's governing African National Congress has vowed to tighten the legislation on parole. This is part of its policy proposals as it goes to its National Elective Congress this weekend. The five-day meeting will adopt this and other policy proposals discussed at the party's policy conference in June. Currently, the Correctional Services Act stipulates that prisoners who have served half of their sentence are eligible for parole, but this has been strongly criticized as some of these offenders revert back to their old ways. Debo Mokobo reports.
12: Their parole system in South Africa allows inmates to leave prison and save the remainder of their sentence within their community. Hardened criminals saving a life sentence are considered for parole after 25 years. And all these prisoners are normally supervised by the Department of Correctional Services. But in some cases, these prisoners relapse into their life of crime. ANC NEC member of the subcommittee on peace and stability, David Mashaba, says this has been a concern.
7: The only issue we need to deal with are the real concerns of our people. One of our concern is that someone gets to be given a life sentence; they don't serve the full life. We have another law that begins to say, at a particular point, these people are eligible for parole. This is where we said we're going to, to tighten it. And some of these people, when they get parole, they go back to their old ways, not being rehabilitated. This is why we said wanted to actually deal with an issue. When the Women's League also raised these issues, it was because of the sketch on the violence against women, including the heinous and barbaric killings that have happened.
12: Matlobo also stressed the need to further improve policing services in communities. He says government has introduced specialized units as an early warning system to counter violent protest, corruption and other crimes.
7: We have reintroduced specialized units that have been established trying to professionalize the service and provide highly trained public order policing to withstand violent protests, corruption and other types of crime. Correctional services has improved the quality of prison infrastructure, limited the number of escapees, reduced the number of awaiting child detainees and integrated parolees into the communities remain a challenge.
12: The governing party also weighed in on the issue of private security. Currently private security companies in the country have more officers than the South African police services standing at almost a million members. Matlobo says inasmuch as the private security sector contributes to job creation, it must adhere to the rules.
7: We have agreed that is the biggest contributor to our economy. But the concerns are genuine. One of the concerns we say, you can't have as a country have the biggest force because there are more than 900,000 as we stand right now. The problem we have, the ownership belongs to other people. And if this ownership belongs to other people, what do we say is your sovereignty as people? And some of these people, they are doing funny things within our own country. Number two, they are deployed in strategic areas. You can't wear, as a country, we have a strategic capability. You call it your national key point. You send someone who actually is not believing to the flag.
12: With fears that serious divisions could plunge the ANC elective conference into chaos, Matlobo is promised an event-free gathering. The ANC will continue with its daily briefings on its discussion documents ahead of the conference. I am Tebu Mokobi in Johannesburg.
9: Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
3: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
8: Reporting for Channel
3: Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbera Munjore in Johannesburg.
4: Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean Noël
9: Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa. Bringing you the African perspective.
1: It's a twenty-seven Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Ace Mahashule has been re-elected uncontested as chairperson of South Africa's ruling African National Congress in the Free State province. Mahashule has occupied the position for the past 23 years. Mahashule, who is also the Free State Premier, received 209 nominations from delegates in attendance, while his former deputy, Thabo Magnoni, only managed to get 25 nods. Magnoni, who boycotted the Provincial Congress, declined his nomination over the phone. Mbali Sibagnoni has more.
3: And, uh... For the position of chairperson.
7: I officially declare Comrade Ace Mahashule
5: the, the provincial chairperson. A resounding applause from the ANC delegates who attended the party's two-day provincial conference in the Free State, the conference which has been hit by major glitches and controversies finally elected its new leadership last night. Ace Makashula retained his position as ANC Free State Chairperson after receiving 204 nominations, while Thabo Magnoni received 25 nods, despite rejecting the nomination. Others who complete the top five is Manyoni's replacement, Paseka Nombondo, who is now the new deputy chairperson. William Buluane also retains his position as the provincial secretary. Deputy is Mamiki Tabate, and Musebenzi Zwane rounds off the top five as provincial treasury general. Following the announcement of the new leadership, the provincial secretary, William Bulwane, briefed the media, saying they were puzzled by Manyoni's no-show and that they only learned about his absence through the media.
13: I think also I must confess, as the former secretary of the previous PEC, I only received the apology of Comrade Manyoni through the media when we were asking me whether Comrade Manyoni is coming or not. And I indicated to all of you that I'm not aware because anybody who apologizes to the ANC meetings, they do it through the secretaries.
5: Manyone is leading a court battle with some disgruntled ANC members They've filed papers in the High Court in Bloemfontein to have this conference nullified and further prevent all delegates from attending the national conference. It's understood that about 32% of the ANC branches are disputing the party's BGMs from the previous 29 branches, making the total number of disputes to almost 100. The ANC in the Free State currently has 309 branches, and according to these new court documents, the province did not meet the 70% threshold to convene the conference. This court application is said to be heard on Thursday, and Buluani says the party is consulting with its lawyers.
13: Our lawyers have been here, we have talked about the matter, and then we'll be going into a full swing ourselves into that court on Thursday. We are not going to leave any stone and tent on Thursday. We are going to defend the revolution. We are going to defend the gates of the African National Congress. So we'll be there with our full bench of senior councils to defend the African National Congress. I think that's what I wanted to say.
5: Mahashule has also been nominated by his province to become Secretary General of the ANC, but the Free State says it has not begun a process of discussing names if he is to that position. Ambali Sibanyoni in Paris in the Free State.
1: It's 8.31 Central African time and our headline's up next with Ann Musa.
9: A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline Zimbabwe's Electoral Commission Chairperson Rita Makaru resigns just a couple of months before the crunch polls next year. Amnesty International says the European Union's support to Libya to prevent illegal migrants reaching Europe by sea has made the EU complicit in human rights abuses and Israeli forces target several positions in the Gaza Strip with land and air attacks for the second time in one day. Those are the stories making headlines.
1: Thank you, Anne. It is 8.32 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. For feedback and questions relating to our show, tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa One. You can also email us at info at or WhatsApp on 277 or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Channel Africa from an African perspective. The High Court in Bloemfontein will on Thursday preside over an urgent application filed by disgruntled ANC members in South Africa's Free State Province. The group, mostly supporters of ANC's presidential hopeful Sir Ramaphosa, want the court to nullify the provincial elective conference held in Bares. The group alleged that the party has proceeded with the conference despite failing to resolve disputes at 113 branches. Apumelele Mzalane reports.
8: The dissatisfied members of the ANC in the province say the party has again violated its own constitution by going ahead with the provincial elective conference. They also allege that some conference delegates have been elected from irregular branch general meetings. The group's lawyer, Hanno Becker, says they will also challenge the legality of the Free State Provincial General Council, which endorsed the former AU Commission Chair and ANC MP Dr. Ngosazana Zamini zuma for ANC presidency.
2: Currently we have about 32% of the province branches that indicated that they did not comply with the nomination process due to legal aspects. And as such, then, if 32% didn't comply, then it gives us enough ground to say that actually that the whole three-set province didn't comply. As such, then, they stand to be excluded from going to national.
5: Becker
8: says that the provincial elective committee has failed to comply with the November 29 court order
2: our request that they must please comply with court order, they still so proceeded with the conference this weekend, as we are all aware. Now, that then forms the basis of our next application, in that they are effectively um, disregarding a court order, and as such, they're in content of court. And point number two, as per the previous court order, the conference is effectively we will also then at the same time bring an application to set aside the decisions made at the BGC.
8: It will be the fifth time in two months that the Free State ANC is being taken to court. Meanwhile, during an ANC media briefing held in Barres, ANC provincial spokesperson Thabo Miku said the party complied with the court order and day two of the provincial conference will continue as planned. I'm Apumelele Mzalane in Plumfontein
1: you <laughs> The international community needs to do much more to agree on practical solutions that will help the world's 22.5 million refugees, the UN said on Tuesday. In its push for a global compact on the issue, the UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency, is hosting a two-day dialogue in Geneva. Challenges that need to be addressed include the detention of refugees and their lack of access to basic services, including work, education and health care. For more on this, UN Radio's Daniel Johnson speaks to Adrian Edwards from the UNHCR.
14: We have a system globally where refugees are often still in detention. They have to live in camps. They may not have the right to work. They may not have access to health, to schooling for their children. They're in poverty in many cases. We have insufficient support for host communities And the resulting mistrust you see between the communities that refugees arrive in and the refugees themselves. We think there has to be a vision for a world where those problems are ended and that's what the Global Compact is about. What are the kind of solutions
10: that are being discussed at this upcoming dialogue by the High Commissioner for Human Rights on particularly, specifically perhaps, how to help refugees integrate into host communities?
14: This global compact on refugees and this meeting by the High Commissioner for Refugees it's the High Commissioner for Refugees annual dialogue, and this is about furthering the discussions that will, we hope, lead in a year's time towards a new global compact, which will give us a predictable mechanism for dealing with refugee situations worldwide. The more predictability there is, the more certainty that countries are going to get the support they need, the more success there tends to be in managing refugee situations wherever they arise. We have about 22 million refugees. We have over 65.5 million forcibly displaced people, and that includes people displaced inside their countries as well, the internally displaced. So this is a huge global problem. I mean, that's a population the size of a country like the United Kingdom, for example, Half of the refugees' children, we don't have full data on the numbers of children among this total population, but it's an enormous population. People need schooling, they need looking after, they need an opportunity to contribute to the community, become active and responsible parts of the community therein.
10: I guess the results of this dialogue and the final text that is agreed upon by the member states that are taking part, I guess that would be an indication of where we are on multilateralism. What is your feeling about the international
14: will for helping refugees now? That's an excellent question. We have a crisis of multilateralism at present in the world. And for an environment where you have rising numbers of internally displaced people and refugees and migrants, too, we need answers for that globally. This is not a time to shirk away from, if you like, the international nature of this and the need for a joined up international solution. And that's really what a global compact is about. We need a comprehensive approach internationally to deal with refugee emergencies when they happen. That's what the 21st century needs. That's what it should build on from these existing international frameworks, including, of course, the foundational document, which is the Refugee Convention itself. What we're looking towards is a comprehensive refugee mechanism that deals with the practical elements of this. What do you do on the ground when refugees flee one country into another? Do you give them plots of land? Do you get them into schools? Do you look after the host community too? How do you support them in these environments? It's those practical, real, day-to-day, hard work of dealing with refugee situations that this whole thing is about.
1: That's UNHCR spokesperson Adrian Edwards speaking to UN Radio's Daniel Johnson. It is 8.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. A security council has called for dialogue with major social media companies in order to limit terrorists' ability to recruit and operate online. To that end, last month saw the launch of the Tech Against Terrorism knowledge sharing platform at the UN headquarters in New York involving some major players in the field, including Google, Facebook and the NGO ICT for Peace. The support of big information technology companies will enable medium and small scale companies, especially startups, to also join the fight against
15: terrorism going forward. Agnes Pastorino. A knowledge sharing platform aimed at preventing the spread of terrorist propaganda online was unveiled at the United Nations a few days ago. The information provided by key stakeholders, including social media companies, will be particularly relevant to the growing tech sector, especially startups. That's according to Daniel Staufascher, the president of the Policy Building Foundation, ict for peace which has been asked by the Security Council to take part in the initiative to curb terrorist activity online. Mr. Stoffascher spoke to me at a forum that brought together major social media companies, Microsoft, Facebook, Twitter, Google and others, to try to tackle and to prevent the use of information and communications technology by terror groups such as Al Qaeda and Daesh or ISIL.
16: One of the conclusions was that we have to involve not only the big social media companies who have the means to respond internally to take down those messages, but it's the hundreds and maybe thousands of startup companies, small and medium-sized social media companies are also being abused by the terrorists. And so we have to engage with a much broader community of companies and of course also governments, law enforcement, civil society groups, and The best way to support that engagement with this vast community is to have a knowledge sharing platform, which we are all happy that was launched today in New York at the United Nations.
15: Social media companies are already putting measures into place on both a technological and user level. The policy manager at Facebook, Erin Marie Saltman, talked about some of the ways the giant social network was already addressing the abuse of its platform by terrorists.
2: What I'd like to do is talk through how we think about policy around violent extremism and terrorism and how we're trying to evolve this, uh, not just internally with the evolution of artificial intelligence and machine learning, but also through human expertise and partnerships. So we say unequivocally that there is no place for terrorism on Facebook, that when we remove terrorists and posts that support terrorism, whenever we become aware of it. And that also includes saying that if someone flags content to us, if somebody is posting that is celebrating, supporting, or glorifying a terrorist act or organization, that should also be removed from our platform.
15: One of the main challenges faced by the private sector is to adapt their businesses to different national legislative frameworks, since many companies operate across borders. Michelle Connings, Assistant Secretary General and Executive Director of the United Nations Counterterrorism Committee Executive Directorate, CTAD, said the common goal was to guarantee security from terrorist threats
5: The private sector, especially those operate globally, has faced challenges in adopting its business models in various jurisdictions. While the cooperation between public and private sector is invaluable to address terrorist threats in cyberspace, we understand that the relations between them have been challenging all times. Nevertheless, we should never forget that all of us Have a common objective. We strive to effectively guarantee security from terrorist threats with safeguarding human rights obligations.
15: This is Agnese Pastorino for UN News in New York. Let's go back in
1: time to today in 2010. Israel's leader dismisses a call from a key government partner to share the holy city of Jerusalem with the Palestinians, a reminder of the obstacles facing already troubled peacemaking efforts. And as you all know, this has changed with, uh, uh, well, somewhat changed with U.S. President Donald Trump declaring or um, changing um, the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which has created a more of a hectic situation and the UN is yet to respond with uh, clear condemnation together with the alliances that's today in history in the year
11: 2010 bonsoir! <laughs> Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African Time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African Time.
1: It's 8.45 Central African Time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko.
17: Good morning. Zimbabwe has slashed the rate of royalty for all platinum group mining companies to 2.5% from 10%. A move the Chamber of Mines of Zimbabwe says will go a long way in enhancing viability at a time uh, prices are depressed. This also comes as government indicated it had deferred the 15% levy on raw platinum exports. Cognizant of our progress towards implementation of an agreed roadmap to construct a value addition plants. The levy has been deferred under, or rather further, for raw and semi-beneficiated platinum until the first of january twenty nineteen. A British lender, Barclays, has completed the sale of a 7% stake in Barclays Africa in what is expected to be the last of a series of share sales. The London-based bank has also also has sold the shares to undisclosed existing and new investors, bringing its stake in South Africa's Johannesburg Securities Exchange-listed lender to 14.8% from an initial holding of 16.3%. Barclays Bank Africa has a subsidiary in Kenya. Members of the World Trade Organization are unlikely to reach a funnel deal to curb fisheries subsidies during the ministerial conference underway this week in Buenos Aires. Delegates of the 164-member body were instead discussing an interim deal but remained divided on whether such a temporary agreement should contain exemptions for certain countries while negotiations for a final deal went ahead. The United States and 12 other countries said last year that they would begin WTO negotiations to ban harmful fishery subsidies. Namibia's trade minister Emmanuel Ngajizeko says networking and sharing of information within SMEs will help boost economic growth and development and eventually contribute to the overall economic success of Namibia as a country through this platform. Ngajizeko said this when he officiated at the Micro, Small and Medium Entrepreneurs Conference in the capital, Ventersburg. Brent crude oil prices have jumped above US$65 per barrel for the first time since 2015. This after the shutdown of the 40s North Sea pipeline knocked out significant supply from a market that was already tightening due to OPEC-led production cuts. Brent crude futures is the international benchmark for oil prices at US$65.29 a barrel. The US dollar trades at 1362 in South Africa. It's at 1015 in Botswana and at 1016 in Zambia. It's also trading at 74 pence to the British pound, 84 cents to the Euro on the commodities market. Platinum trades at $884. Gold $1,244 per ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $65 to 6 cents a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa.
1: A sports update up next with Figi Leligoiati.
3: First up in our sports update this hour. Kicking off with football news, host Kenya maintained the unbeaten form to beat rock bottom Tanzania 1-0 to go top of Group A and qualify to the semifinals of the ongoing Sikafa Challenge Cup yesterday afternoon. Burley striker Vincent Oburu scored the decisive goal in the 20th minute that proved vital for the home side. After close rivals, Libya enjoyed a shock 1-0 win over the group pace setters Zanzibar in the early kickoff at the Kenyatta Stadium in Machakos. The result put Kenya at top of, on top of the five-team group on eight points ahead of Zanzibar, who have seven points while Libya, only taking part as guests, finished as impressive third on six points. Kenya will now meet Burundi in the first semi-final on the 14th of December in Kisumu, with Zanzibar taking hold as Uganda the following day. And 2018 will be a busy year for South African women's national teams. Banyana Banyana will be bidding to win the Africa Cup of Nations in Ghana at the end of the year and also qualify for the FIFA World Cup in France the following year. The under-17 is hoping to qualify for the World Cup in Uruguay, while the under-20s is vying to reach the World Cup in France. South African Football Association SAFA President Denis Jordan is hoping all the teams will do well.
11: The, a technical team had a meeting on Tuesday. I think they will have a final meeting next week uh, to finalize this matter because we play Sweden, uh, two matches in Cape Town uh, in January next year, around the 25th. And after that, we have to look at qualification for AFCON. And out of AFCON, the three top teams will go to the World Cup. In the last AFCON in Cameroon, we ended fourth. And therefore, if that were the basis for qualification for the World Cup, not going to, this tournament now uh, in Ghana will provide a base for the three teams to go to the World Cup. We must be in the top three. And therefore, uh, we have to, to sort uh, everything out so that Banyana can go and, and be in the top three in AFCON uh, and then qualify for the World Cup uh, in France.
3: And Egypt, Mohamed Salah has been voted BBC African Footballer of the Year for 2017. Following a record number of votes, the Liverpool star won ahead of Gabon's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, a Guinean Nabi Keita, Saidi Omani of Senegal and Nigeria's Victor Moses. Salah, the Premier League's top scorer with 13 goals, has enjoyed a stellar year for both club and country. In early 2017, the forward was the central figure for Egypt as they finished runners-up at the Africa Cup of Nations. On to golf news. South African duo Eric Van Rooyen and Sean Norris have sealed their spots at the next year's Open Championship after the completion of the rain-delayed Joburg Open. India's Shubanka Shamar won his maiden European Tour title when he carried a 3 under par final round of 69 to finish three strokes clear of runner-up Van Royen at Renpar Golf Club. Victory guaranteed Shamar along with Van Royen and joint third-place finisher Norris places at the 2018 Open Championship at Kanusti. Norris got the nod ahead of Tapio Pulkanen despite finished tied with his Finnish opponent, Juo to his higher world ranking. Van Royen, who graduated onto the European Tour in November, will make his Open Championship debut in Scotland. The 2018 Open will be played from the 19th of July to the 22nd at the Canuste Golf Links. And lastly, with cricket news, Cricket South Africa, CSA, has confirmed that a two-day warm-up match between India and the CSA 11 that was scheduled to take place at Boland Park has been called off. India have opted instead of to use those two days for training ahead of the three-match test series against the Proteas starting in Cape Town on the 5th of January. It means that India will go into that first test without having played a practice match in South Africa. CSA has also announced a number of other changes in the new look itinerary for the beginning of 2018. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa rise and shine. Africa, soza. Africa, amuka na unai.
1: Recapping our top stories on Africa rise and shine at this hour, South Sudan peace talks to resume in Addis Ababa, concerns over human rights abuses in the DRC and UN chief highlights the importance of human rights. That wraps up Africa Rising Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magaza and Komutomo Pulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or Send an SMS on two seven seven nine six nine five seven will taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency seven two three zero kilohertz on the forty one meter band. To Southern Africa is Kofi Olomide with a song titled Efrakata.
4: les
0: amours la bonne et la
7: bonne la et
9: The headlines. Zimbabwe's Electoral Commission Chairperson Rita Makaru resigns just a couple of months before the crunch polls next year. Israeli forces target several positions in the Gaza Strip with land and air attacks for the second time in one day. And the bodies of 14 Tanzanian peacekeepers killed in the Democratic Republic of Congo returned home. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Zimbabwe's electoral commission chairperson Rita Makarao has resigned just a couple of months before the crunch polls next year. According to reports from the Daily News, Makaro quit her job last week Friday without giving any reasons for her resignation. She was appointed by former President Robert Mugabe in 2016, despite opposition parties' objections. Sources say it appears as if she had been pushed to leave a job. The opposition MDC, led by Morgan Changurai says Makaru's resignation has opened a can of worms. Israeli forces have targeted several positions in the Gaza Strip with land and air attacks for the second time in one day. The Israeli army confirmed that it carried out attacks on positions belonging to the Palestinian resistance movement Hamas for the second time late on Monday. It claimed the attacks were in response to rocket fire from the Gaza Strip into an unpopulated area in the occupied territories without causing any injuries. The Gaza Strip has been under an Israeli siege since June 2007. The High Court in South Africa will on Wednesday deliver judgment in President Jacob Zuma's application to set aside former Public Protector Tuli Madunsela's remedial action on alleged state capture. Madunsela released the report titled State of Capture November last year concerning allegations of an improper relationship between President Zuma, other state officials and the Gupta family. She recommended that Zuma should establish the commission, but the Chief Justice Mukwing Mukwing should choose the presiding judge. Risha Mudare reports. President Jacob Zuma took issue with the remedial action and applied to
1: court to have it reviewed and set aside.